the podcast for St. Joseph and Elkhart counties that reads like an audio newspaper. This is SME Community Radio Newscast powered by Anchor.fm. News Nation This Hour, I'm James Sears. Full in-person school starts today in New York City for more than a million students. Last night, though, more than 100 parents protested the lack of a remote option. We have thousands of parents across the city who do not want to send their child in, and many of them will not send their child in. Schools can still pivot to remote learning under certain conditions. Meanwhile, every student aged 12 and up needs to get the COVID shot in order to take part in certain activities like chorus, dance, band, and cheerleading. A vaccine mandate had already been announced for student-athletes playing sports deemed a higher coronavirus risk. More progress is being made with vaccinations nationwide. 26 states across the country have fully vaccinated more than half their residents. Three states have fully vaccinated at least two-thirds, Vermont, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Many hospitals in states with low vaccination rates are filling up with unvaccinated COVID patients, and they're filling up more than 30 percent of all ICU beds in the country. West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin says he won't vote for his party's $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. We've already put out $5.4 trillion. And we've tried to help Americans in every way we possibly can. And a lot of the help that we put out there is still there and it's going to run clear until next year. What's the urgency? Manchin told CNN he agrees with parts of the reconciliation bill, but just not the entire package. He said the spending bill should only cost around a trillion dollars and he doesn't believe tax hikes would be in America's best interest. Manchin added the infrastructure bill shouldn't be held up because of the spending bill. People in Texas are bracing for a soaking from Tropical Storm Nicholas today. Forecasters say up to 15 inches of rain is possible in some areas, while others could see a hurricane or flash flooding. Governor Greg Abbott confirmed he's dispatched emergency services along the coast. Louisiana also taking action, declaring an emergency before the storm swings through later this week. That state is still recovering from Hurricane Ida. At Sunday's MTV VMAs... Lil Nas X won Video of the Year. Justin Bieber won Artist of the Year. And Olivia Rodrigo took home the Best New Artist honor. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and on the NewsNationNow app. I'm James Sears. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstra. Gas prices do a bit of a U-turn. Gasoline prices gained two cents a gallon in the past two weeks. Uh, this after the only decline of the year that happened in the prior two weeks. So the new price of 325 for regular grade is about the same as it was one month ago. Fuel analyst Trilby Lundberg found that the highest price was in San Francisco area at $4.48 a gallon, the lowest in Houston, two seventy four. And if you're driving a diesel, it's up two cents since August 27th at $3.34 a gallon. Also at SRNnews.com, in the 20 years since the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. fight against terrorism seemingly has no end in sight. But military affairs analyst, retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, says terrorism has always been a problem, only now it's a different kind of problem. This particular type of terrorism, driven by an an ideology, has permeated much of uh, Asia, certainly Africa, Middle East, infiltrated into uh, the West through Europe and clearly in the United States. McGinnis spoke recently with the Salem Radio Network. President Biden heads to Idaho and California today to survey damage from wildfires. Tonight he'll be campaigning in California with Governor Gavin Newsom in Newsom's bid to stave off a recall tomorrow. 
Leading Republican Larry Elder, meanwhile, is broadly criticizing the media for what he described as a double standards that insulated Newsom from scrutiny throughout the contest. Authorities have reopened nearly all lanes of a major Southern California highway as firefighters made progress on a wildfire that jumped across the road this weekend that erupted on a dry hillside at the northern Los Angeles County grew to more than a half square mile, prompting authorities to temporarily shut down a stretch of Interstate 5. Says SRN News. A missionary says the Taliban will make life in Afghanistan hard for everyone. Children and women especially, and anyone who's been associated with Western agencies, including very fine development agencies that have been helping uh, the country. Terry Ascott of SAT7 urges prayer for Christians. That they may have the wisdom to know when to share their faith with others and the wisdom when to keep their mouth shut and let their actual lives do the witnessing for them. SAT7 beams Christian TV programs into Afghanistan. A new poll asks Americans how they feel about their First Amendment rights. Half say the government's doing a good job protecting their religious liberty, but that's down from 75 percent who said the same thing in 2011. And when it comes to free speech, only 45 percent think the government's doing a good job defending it compared with 71 percent a decade ago. SRN News. Facebook's hired away a top Democrat from the Senate panel probing big tech. John Branscombe, staff director and former chief counsel for the Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Technology, will be joining the ranks of Facebook's federal policy team. Dan Gaynor, vice president at Media Research Center, said Facebook gave significant assistance to Democrats in the 2020 election by suppressing the Hunter Biden scandal. He added it makes perfect sense that the company would add more Democratic operatives heading into the 2022 election. The Federal Trade Commission is currently suing Facebook and seeking to break up the company. Patrick Foss reporting. At noon today on the east steps of the Capitol, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, along with other members of Congress, will participate in a congressional remembrance ceremony marking 20 years since 9-11. More details at srnnews.com. I'm Ron DeRockstra. Coping 19, brought to you by CDC and the Ad Council. Do you feel like your emotions are all over the place? That's normal during this abnormal time. There are a number of ways to cope. Maintain a healthy routine, get enough sleep, eat nutritious food, and exercise at least 30 minutes each day. Schedule some time to talk with a friend or family member. And remember, you can always take a few deep breaths to feel more centered. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. From the Black Information Network. This is the BIM Daily Update. I'm Vanessa Tyler. And I'm Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. The family of Ronald Green recently saw this police body cam video about two years after his death back in 2019. They say they were first told by Louisiana State Police he died in a car crash after a police chase. State Police never telling them about that violent encounter where he was tased, 
handcuffed and beaten. Now the head of the Louisiana State Police is saying he did not try to cover up the black man's death or that incriminating police video. Superintendent Colonel Lamar Davis says he did not ask for any of the body cam footage to be hidden, despite it being discovered it even existed. America is in a battle against the coronavirus, and those who refuse to get the shots are helping the country lose the war. The more transmissible Delta variant is driving a surge in cases, and this remains a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That from White House COVID coordinator Jess Zions, who says the president's new vaccine mandates will go far in getting more people to get the shots. And the fight in Florida is against the governor, who says schools cannot order people to wear masks, adding any district that does so face retaliation, including loss of funding. In the back and forth in state courts, an appeals court ruled in the governor's favor. The governor's ban on mask mandates can stay put. School districts have already said they will continue to insist students and staff wear masks. Getting to the bottom of the attack on the Capitol is resulting in companies turning over thousands of documents to the House Committee investigating the insurrection. Numerous companies, including Facebook, Google, and Twitter, got requests for the documents. They and others were asked to produce records on many topics, including the spread of misinformation, domestic violence, extremism, and any foreign influence in the presidential election. All this related, of course, to the January 6th incident at the U.S. Capitol. Committee Chairman African-American Benny Thompson also has requested documents from Reddit, Snapchat, and YouTube. The R. Kelly federal trial is bringing more of the same horror stories. Women now, who were much younger then, taking the stand to say how he locked them up, withheld food, and sexually assaulted them. One of the latest to testify says she was a 21-year-old single mom working as an intern in a Utah radio station. She thought getting an interview would be the key to her getting her dream job. Instead, it was the beginning of her nightmare. She said she was drugged, sexually assaulted, signed a non-disclosure, and threatened not to say a word. R. Kelly says he's innocent. The trial continues. Long, short, kinky, straight, the many ways of black hair. The Kent State University Museum in Ohio puts black hair center stage with its latest exhibit titled Textures, the History and Art of Black Hair. The exhibit will explore black hair in African-American life, culture, and politics. There are paintings, sculptures, hair artifacts, and more. Our hair has history. I'm Vanessa Tyler with Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. What feeling do you get when you drive the 575 horsepower supercharged V8 Jaguar F-Type R? All of them. Discover the powerful performance that makes driving a Jaguar like no other sports car in the world. Learn more at JaguarUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by the OnStar Guardian app. Be ready for the unexpected with the OnStar Guardian app. Get help in a crash, crisis, or emergency from specially trained OnStar advisors. When bad things happen, it's good to have a great team on your side. Download the Guardian app from the App Store or on Google Play today. This episode is brought to you by Splat. Be bold and shake things up. 
create that head-turning look you've been dying to try. With Splat Hair Color, you can pick from over 30 bold shades and choose how long it'll last. Splat is vegan, cruelty-free, and made in the USA. Find your best color at Walmart, Target, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Whole Foods, and SplatHairColor.com. I'm Mike Stevens. And I'm Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. Controversy in the classroom, as once again, a white teacher says the N-word. The Atlanta, Georgia area art teacher who previously won a Teacher of the Year award is now out of the classroom while an investigation is going on into what she said on camera while talking to students. The video is hard to hear, but she allegedly asked, when is it okay to say the N-word? She then says, say I date a black guy, then I can say the N-word? In unison, the students yell out, no, don't say that. Fox 5 TV talked to African Americans living nearby. I'm pretty upset about it, and I hope, you know, some, some justice get This is one of the many incidents nationwide where teachers have been recorded saying the word either in class or during remote learning. The school board found out about the incident after the video was posted online. I think the the Board of Education should do more, you know, look more into it, investigate into it and not just be suspended. You know, she should just lose her job. The future for our teacher, Alexandria Boyington, at that school is not clear. We are finding out about another health disparity, and this one affects black children. A new study featured in Urban Health Today finds African-American children with a cancer called lymphoma are less likely to survive than white children with the same illness. There are questions about why this is the case, but the authors say we have to consider social injustice and health care as one possibility. The study found black kids are 50 more likely to die from lymphoma than white children. Recent reports say African Americans are getting the COVID shots at a higher rate than white Americans. Well, now the CDC says unvaccinated people of all racial backgrounds are 11 times more likely to die from COVID-19 than those who are fully vaccinated. The study also shows unvaccinated people are four and a half times more likely to get infected with the coronavirus than the fully vaccinated. The study came out one day after President Biden announced a new rule that would require private companies with 100 employees or more to mandate vaccinations or regular coronavirus testing. All the programs proposed by President Joe Biden, many of which directly benefit African Americans, cost money. Ultimately, how they will be paid for is not clear, but the White House still expects bipartisan support for raising the federal debt ceiling. We continue to believe Democrats and Republicans should do what they have done 80 times, which is to raise the debt limit, and that is what we are working toward. Press Secretary Jen Psaki says this should not be a political issue. Some Republicans are threatening to oppose a hike in the debt limit without spending cuts. Action hero Spider-Man has been around in one form or another since 1962. And in one of the newest Spider-Man movies, a young black man is the star. My life is mad complicated. Well, a comic book featuring the first ever appearance of Spider-Man has set the record for the most expensive comic book ever sold. It went for $3.6 million. I'm Mike Stevens with Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. 
There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Michigan. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can get all your favorite sports, movies, and shows together. So you can watch new episodes of your favorite reality shows live or binge old episodes on demand. Either way, get ready for some drama. And the best part? DirecTV Stream has no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. Tailor-made or one-size-fits-all. With a hybrid, you don't have to choose. That's why insurers are going hybrid with IBM. With Watson on a hybrid cloud, they can use AI to help predict client needs and get the data they need to quickly design coverage for each one. Businesses that want personalization and speed are going with a smarter hybrid cloud using the technology and expertise of IBM. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Your money on the Black Information Network. Amazon's hourly employees in the U.S. can go to college on the company's dime. The e-commerce giant said it'll cover tuition costs for those workers starting in January of next year. The offer includes fees and textbooks once an employee has worked for the Seattle-based company for 90 days. Amazon is also going to cover other educational opportunities. They include high school diploma programs along with GEDs. Amazon is just the latest company to cover the cost of college for its workers. Walmart is covering tuition and book costs for its associates and those who work for Sam's Club. Break the rules, be prepared to pay. That's President Biden's message to travelers. He ordered the TSA to double fines for those who refuse to wear masks at airports and on flights, and it's now in effect. First offenders will be charged $500 to $1,000, while repeat offenders can expect to pay $1,000 to $3,000. The federal mask mandate for transportation is in effect through January 18th. Prices of natural gas are increasing and shown no signs of slowing down. CNBC reports prices have doubled in 2021, which is due to a shortage of the resource. An analyst for Goldman Sachs notes a colder than usual winter will drive up the prices even more. Money news at 24 and 54 minutes past each hour. I'm Julius White on the Black Information Network. News outlets will cover stories differently, but the Black Information Network is fundamentally different. A 24-7 all-news network of writers, anchors, and producers with the goal of keeping you informed about what's happening in the black community. BINnews.com, bringing you news you can trust. Download the iHeartRadio app now and listen to the Black Information Network anytime, anywhere. 9-11, two decades later, is a limited series podcast that looks back 20 years since the attacks of 9-11 and features those who were in the inner sanctum of our country's government. I mean, it felt like the end of the world, to be honest with you. And we ask the question, are we safer today than 20 years ago? I don't think so. I wish I could answer differently, but I don't think so. I think those in charge these days need to spend more time communicating. Listen to 9-11, two decades later on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love trivia, if you love the hugely popular Stuff You Should Know podcast, then the Trivial Pursuit game Stuff You Should Know edition is for you. With 600 questions, weird and unbelievable trivia in categories like myths, legends, and conspiracies. SYSK selects a mix of topics handpicked by podcast hosts Josh and Chuck. Get the Trivial Pursuit game Stuff You Should Know edition today wherever you get your favorite board game. Download the BIN Daily Update every morning on the iHeartRadio app. Detailed forecast. Today. Partly sunny, with a high near 87. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight. Partly cloudy, with a low around 69. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tuesday. A 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly after 2 p.m., mostly sunny, with a high near 88. Southwest wind 10 to 20 mph, with gusts as high as 30 mph. Tuesday night. Showers and thunderstorms likely, mainly between 8 p.m. and 2 a.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 62. West wind 5 to 10 mph becoming light after midnight. Winds could gust as high as 20 mph. Chance of precipitation is 70%. New rainfall amounts between a half and three quarters of an inch possible. Wednesday. A 30% chance of showers, mainly before 8 a.m., partly sunny, with a high near 78. Calm wind becoming north around 5 miles per hour in the afternoon. Wednesday night. Mostly clear, with a low around 57. Thursday. A 20% chance of showers after 2 p.m., sunny, with a high near 82. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, September the 13th, 2021. I'm Mike Clifford. Washington State's largest union of public workers has reached an agreement with the state on Governor Jay Inslee's vaccine mandate. More on that now from Eric Tegenoff. The deal ensures access to and education about the shot on work time, as well as an additional day of leave so workers can get vaccinated. The Washington Federation of State Employees filed a lawsuit in August to compel the state to negotiate in good faith on the details of the mandate. Union President Mike Yastrzemski says the agreement is a win for public health and due process. This entire bargaining process and that lawsuit that we had filed, all of that was about impact bargaining and the fundamental right of unions to bargain workplace conditions. The Washington Federation of State Employees is withdrawing that lawsuit. The agreement also includes options for people near retirement and a consistent and equitable process across workplaces for employees seeking a medical or religious exemption. More than 80% of members voted in favor of the agreement. The Washington Federation of State Employees includes 47,000 public service workers in state agencies, higher education, and behavioral health. Good employment opportunities always have been scarce for formerly incarcerated people, but now the COVID-19 pandemic has wiped out many thousands of jobs and weakened the economy. Michael Watkins spent a lifetime finding work after prison. The Raleigh resident struggled with low-wage jobs. If he could find one, more than three decades after doing a six-month stretch for felony breaking and entering as a 26-year-old. He says he sought legal aid for help removing his felony conviction, but was told there was no hope in his case. They probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't be able to help me because of my felony, and it was a class H. Felony, which is one that cannot be expunged, according to North Carolina statutes. 
Watkins' experience is far from exceptional. According to the Raleigh-based North Carolina Second Chance Alliance, more than 90% of large employers conduct criminal background checks and often will automatically reject applicants based on dismissed charges, long-ago convictions, and convictions that aren't related to a job's qualifications and responsibilities. Nadia Ramlagan reporting. The Washington Post reports that Democrats are growing confident that California Governor Gavin Newsom will prevail in Tuesday's recall election, averting political disaster by energizing liberal voters. The Post says across the country, his party is paying close attention to how he's doing it, warning Democrats if they stay home, Donald Trump and his agenda will prevail. At a recent campaign stop in East L.A., Newsom said Trumpism is alive and well in this country. Is there any surprise the entire Trump organization is behind the recall? This is PMS. Opponents of rollbacks to the Trump-era Clean Water Act say 90% of New Mexico's waters were left unprotected and hope a recent court decision will be a turning point. A federal judge ruled the Trump administration's 2020 Navigable Waters Protection Rule was too flawed to keep in place. That means for now, instead of falling under federal jurisdiction, the status of ephemeral or intermittent streams will be subject to case-by-case determinations. Rachel Kahn with the water advocacy group Amigos Bravos says arid states such as New Mexico need their own rules. We are a very dry state, as we all know, and we have many waters that don't flow year round. And it is all of those waters that had been left unprotected. The rule had removed protections for hundreds of thousands of intermittent streams and wetlands that feed and support the Rio Grande River. I'm Roz Brown. And anyone can become a victim of sexual violence. Work is underway in Ohio to ensure men feel welcome in the anti-violence movement. As the Engaging Men Coordinator at the Ohio Alliance to End Sexual Violence, Javon Howard focuses on assisting male survivors of sexual violence and getting more men involved in prevention work. He explains that sexual violence prevention work is historically rooted in combating patriarchal ideas and thus isolating men from the movement. We have this anti-violence space to get away from violence perpetuated by men, but then this space also needs to include men. It creates tension in the movement and it illuminates a lot of the pain and fear that we have towards men that prevent us from fully accepting male survivors. Howard says something as simple as female-centered language can discourage a male survivor from coming forward. For example, a rape crisis center named Women Helping Women. He notes that understanding these challenges as a new conversation Mary Sherman reporting. Finally, Emily Scott tells us the National Association of State Foresters formed in 1920 with its first meeting in Harrisburg amid an increase in large wildfires throughout the country. Because of the pandemic, last year's conference went virtual. State Foresters just wrapped up their 2021 in-person meeting in Pittsburgh with the last 100 years on their mind. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, the state battled many wildfires, reducing the extent of once common tree species. State Forester Ellen Schultzebarger says the lessons of the past can help inform the future of how we maintain forests. So we were talking about forest health 100 years ago. Forests and these pests and these issues don't just stay within boundaries, and it's extremely important for us to work with our neighboring states and with our partners to really be effective in in having good forest management moving forward. Forests cover nearly 60% of Pennsylvania. This is Mike Clifford, and thank you for starting your week with Public News Service. Member and listener supported, heard on great radio stations, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.
Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. I think you're going to be happy. Let me put it that way, okay? I think you're going to be very happy when I see what's going on. We had the greatest economy in the world. We did things that nobody thought even possible. Former President Trump implied he would run for president again when asked by a New York City police officer. Trump made surprise visits to police and fire stations on Saturday, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks. At a 9-11 memorial near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, former President George W. Bush called on Americans to reject politics of fear and resentment. He compared the violence of domestic extremists to that of foreign terrorists. Flight 93 crashed into an empty field there after passengers and crew members took it back from hijackers planning to attack the U.S. Capitol. A first batch of newly declassified materials related to the 9-11 attacks should be released in the next few days. President Biden signed an executive order directing the Justice Department and other agencies to declassify some related to the FBI's investigation. The U.S. Senate is back from recess today and faces deadlines over infrastructure, as well as the debt ceiling and a possible government shutdown. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said over the weekend he can't support Biden's three $3.5 trillion spending plan as written. Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner also warned he could vote against the package without more money for housing assistance. Meanwhile, the federal government is expected to run out of funds in October. Congress is debating when and by how much to increase the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. We cannot continue to be good stewards of this recovery and tackle the new bodies of work that Congress assigns to us in the years ahead with the budget that was designed for 2010. A growing number of healthcare providers are requiring COVID-19 vaccines as a condition of employment. One hospital in upstate New York will stop delivering babies later this month after 30 staffers quit in protest over a vaccine mandate that allowed no religious exemptions. Lewis County Health System CEO Gerald Kayer said they will be unable to safely staff their maternity department after the 25th. The mandate ensures we will have a healthy workforce and that we are not responsible for transmission in or out of our facilities. Finally, the Biden administration has extended through the end of 2022 temporary protected status for 400,000 migrants from Haiti, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Sudan, and Nepal. Immigrant justice advocates praise the move, and they continue to push for a path to citizenship for TPS holders and millions of other undocumented people in the U.S. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.com. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone 
Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, September 13th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're watching today. A September sprint in the U.S. Senate. Plus, the latest round between Facebook and regulators. But first, today's one big thing. New battles over federal vaccine mandates. The new vaccine mandates that President Biden announced last week will affect about 100 million Americans all told. And while it seems that many Americans agree with the president, there's also been a significant backlash, with some GOP governors vowing legal action and other top Republicans calling for a public uprising. Margaret Taleb is the managing editor for politics at Axios. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Nyla. How striking is this reaction we've seen, especially over the past few days from Republicans? The Republican governors in states like Florida and states like Texas, they're responding to the GOP base that is stridently on the side of the, the freedom not to be vaccinated, the freedom to work in a place where your boss can't tell you what to do. And it is that question mark about the most vulnerable districts for Democrats that is really driving this push by Republican politicians to jump all over Joe Biden for these mandates. The argument is that it is an issue of personal freedom or of medical choice. Of course, Americans who aren't comfortable with taking a shot have the right to speak out against it and have the right to resist. The question is, what's the breaking point between free speech, you know, civil disobedience, and a threat to the nation, a threat to national security, a violation of the law? Right. And former President Bush compared those threats to national security that you're talking about with the terrorism that took place on 9-11 at an anniversary ceremony in Shanksville, Pennsylvania on Saturday. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, They are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. This is the former Republican president of the United States speaking to what used to be his base, trying to send a very clear message. Hey, just because this is Americans fighting Americans doesn't make it any less dangerous that this is a moment when there is a need for spirit of purpose and unity. The 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming in the middle of this once-in-a-century pandemic um, have raised so many questions about what it means for America to be united. That is a real challenge for public health officials and for political officials is to muster the same sense of purpose, the same sense of focus and of unity that the country felt after 9-11 and to apply it to the coronavirus pandemic. Margaret Talev is Axios' managing editor for politics. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks, Nyla. In 15 seconds, the three big September deadlines you need to know about for congressional lawmakers. 
The federal minimum wage hasn't changed since 2009. That's why Amazon announced a minimum wage of at least $15 an hour back in 2018 while offering their support to raising the federal minimum wage. Learn more at aboutamazon.com 15. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Today, the Senate is back from recess, and September is full of deadlines. Axios' congressional reporter, Elena Treen, is here with three you need to know about. Good morning, Elena. Good morning, Nyla. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. The first is September 15th. Can you tell us what that's about? That is the quote-unquote soft deadline for the Democrat-run committees to finish drafting their sections of the party's massive $3.5 trillion spending bill. I say $3.5 trillion. It may not look like that after it's negotiated. As of now, it doesn't look like they'll actually meet that deadline. But that's kind of the ambitious goal that they're working toward. Okay, so that's this Wednesday. The Mm -hmm. next deadline is September 27th, and that has to do with infrastructure, not the budget, right? Yes, that is the deadline that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had promised centrists that they would have a vote on the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal. The House has been waiting to take it up. Similar to the 15th deadline, I'd be surprised if they're able to to pass that, that massive $3.5 trillion package by September 27th. Senator Mark Warner is also warning that he might vote against the $3.5 trillion spending package if more money isn't added for housing assistance. My colleague Hans Nichols scooped. His thought is just another indication that the proposal will face a variety of obstacles before the House and Senate can agree to a top-line number. Now, the September 30th deadline is a deadline Congress has to meet. Can you tell us why? Yes, if they don't meet their deadline of September 30th, the government will will shut down. So essentially, the government runs out of money by September 30th. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said that the House is expected to consider a short-term spending bill or, or what they call in Congress a continuing resolution. We're hearing that it'll likely extend through December, but that date could change as well. Elena Treen covers Congress and the White House for Axios. Thanks, Elena. Thank you, Nyla. Facebook is looking to launch a digital wallet called Novi by the end of this year, with peer-to-peer transactions starting in 2022. It's likely to be the next fight between the tech giant and regulators. Axios' Sarah Fisher and Mike Allen sat down with Facebook Financial's David Marcus, who told them Facebook has a, quote, trust deficit. And Sarah Fisher is here with us now. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Nyla. Sarah, let's start with what Marcus said to you when you spoke to him last week. Yeah, so basically he said doing it would bring accessibility to banking to millions of people. He said, you know, 62 million people in the U.S., I did not know that, are unbanked. Over a billion people worldwide don't have bank accounts. And so he says it's a problem that needs solved, and Facebook is uniquely capable of solving it. But the problem, Nyla, is he admits that there's a trust deficit. Facebook has problems getting regulators, sometimes consumers, to trust its intentions. And so that's why he was in D.C. last week. He was meeting with key regulatory stakeholders to convince them that Facebook should be allowed to do this. Let's hear what he had to say about this when you asked him about it. If there is one thing we need, it's the benefit of the doubt that, you know, the realization that the state of things is really, truly unacceptable. So, Sarah, when he says that Facebook needs the benefit of the doubt, how do regulators react to a statement like that? 
Well, I think it's hard for them to just default to trusting Facebook. I mean, look at Facebook's track record when it comes to things like misinformation. But what Marcus is trying to say is that don't worry about our track record with that stuff. This is different. And it's important that we launch it because if we don't, we're going to be really far behind. Now, is that argument going to work? I'm not quite sure, but he's hoping it does. But Let's not be naive here, Nyla. There's a business implication for Facebook, too. Building a digital wallet, getting involved in things like cryptocurrency and payments helps to build on Facebook's other missions. So even though they have good intentions, like, don't be fooled. There's still a business reason that they're doing this. What kind of response did that argument get in Washington? I think people agree that the financial system is broken in the U.S. You know, one of the things Marcus said, which I thought was enlightening, is that it still takes three days for payments to be processed with your bank. That's a problem. But the thing is, regulators don't necessarily think that Facebook should be the one to solve the problem. Axios is Sarah Fisher. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Nyla. Before we go today, it was a historic weekend of tennis in New York, but not for the way everyone thought it would be, because it was the women, not the men, who made the history. I spent part of my vacation at the Open, but sadly didn't get to see the two teenagers play who made it to the women's final, both of them unseated. British 18-year-old Emma Raducanu defeated 19-year-old Canadian Layla Fernandez. Emma, who was ranked 150 in the world before this weekend, is the only person to ever win a Grand Slam title by qualifying to get into the tournament, meaning she played for a chance to enter. The idea was the history would continue yesterday with the Serbian Novak Djokovic in a quest for a calendar Grand Slam, that's every championship title this season, as well as a record-breaking 21st championship title, but he was defeated by Russian Daniil Medvedev. I'm Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. The federal minimum wage is still just $7.25 an hour, not nearly enough for many American families. At Amazon, all employees earn at least $15 an hour, more than double the federal minimum wage. Because it's good for workers, good for business, good for communities, and good for the economy. Learn more about how Amazon takes care of its employees at aboutamazon.com slash 15. If you're ever in Philadelphia and someone says to you, meet me at the Eagle, what they want is a rendezvous at Macy's department store in Center City. There you'll find a 2,500 pound bronze eagle located in the Grand Court. But those who love music Well, it's actually the Wanamaker, Oregon, which is the most notable landmark there. With almost 28,500 pipes, it is the largest playable instrument in the world. I mention this because there was a day that shoppers experienced an unexpected musical surprise. A 650-member choir decided to delight the shoppers with a random act of culture. Acting like fellow shoppers, the choir mingled with the crowds, and waited. At noon, the Wanamaker organ began to play a chorus from Handel's Messiah, and all at once, the several hundred undercover sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses erupted in song. 
and these unsuspecting shoppers found themselves suddenly in the middle of a glorious worship service. Many of them pulled out their devices to capture this moment. They were clearly enjoying this unexpected surprise. Others stood there with sheepish grins, not really knowing what to do because they weren't in on the gag. What most surprised me as I watched this was some folks who just continued to shop. They were pretending like there was not anything out of the ordinary going on. They were completely oblivious to the praise of God. Here they were, surrounded by hundreds of trained vocalists, singing praises to the glorious notes of thousands of pipes. And all they seemed to notice was the purse on sale, or the nice Oxford sweater that would go great with these shoes. Now, if I had been there in person, I would have shouted, Hey! Stop what you're doing! You need to get with the program! And that is exactly what James is saying in James 4, verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and try to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Hi, I'm Joel of Heart City Church, and we've been considering the Apostle James' letter to the Christians, and he's been teaching us the way of humility, the way of humility, the posture we are to take as God's people. And James gives us here a second example of what it looks like to lack humility in chapter 4. We need to hear James is shouting when he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James wants us to envision a couple of businessmen who are making plans, filling out their planners. They have a map in front of them, perhaps, and they're looking at where to go and what they will do when they get there. And, of course, the purpose, which is to make a profit. These fellows have the when, the where, the what, and the why all figured out. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making plans for the future. We're supposed to be charting a course for our lives. The problem is, they're doing this with no thought of God. That is why James says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Friends, when we plan for our future, it is incumbent upon us that we keep at the forefront of our minds God's plans and purposes. Humility recognizes God may change our situations. You see, God has prepared beforehand certain works for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. And we may find we need to drop our plans to get on board with what God is doing in our world. And humility further means acknowledging that God is sovereign over all future things. We have no guarantee that our plans will come to fruition in the history that God is fashioning. That's the problem with these fellows. They're saying, today or tomorrow we'll do this and that, and we can anticipate this result. And James rebukes this way of thinking as arrogant and evil. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Scottish theologian Robert Murray McShane once wrote in his journal, As to myself, I have no plans. As to myself, I have no plans. Now this may sound strange to us. Someone with no plans for the future would be seen as a fool. But McShane was not saying that we never make plans. Rather, he was saying that the most important thing was not his plans for his life, 
but God's plans for his life. And God's plans are always better than ours. And I can testify that this is a wise way to live, my friends. When I have this attitude, well, I'm not ruined when God yanks the rug out from under me. I can say with Job that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And join with the choir singing praise to the author of human history. Believer, when God takes something from us or changes our plans, it is because he means us well and he can better plan our futures than we can ourselves. Remember who you are and who you belong to. Next Reality Studios, located at 1100 North Chicago Avenue in Goshen is your hot community spot for virtual reality. 20,000 square feet of VR fun. Social and community groups can use the Innovation Center for various trainings and events. Very easy to find at the Old Bag Factory. Look them up on Facebook and call ahead to book a time slot. Walk-ins are welcome too. So, many cities across America are criminalizing homelessness. When homeless cannot sleep outdoors in parks, on sidewalks, in a tent, the police come to find them, to cause them to move on with all their belongings, often they pitch and take their belongings from them. These items of clothing and personal items, including medicine, photos, all get discarded and they have no say generally in the matter. They do this so the homeless do not get too comfortable staying in a location where they are not wanted. The police receive complaints from citizens who do not like their presence and feel that they are a nuisance, an eyesore, a bother, a threat, an inconvenience, or a deterrent from places making money that are in business. So it becomes a crime to be homeless. They are often thrown into jails. They are escorted to some other location away from where they were. And it's just not permitted to sleep on a sidewalk, a park bench, a city bench, in the park itself, on the grass, up against a building, or in a tent somewhere where they can be visible. Now, yes, uh, hygiene often is an issue. Public health is an issue. There may be human waste as a result of where they live and are camped. 
There may be issues with lice or bed bugs. Um, so often their clothing and possessions are thrown away uh, for fear that they may have lice or bed bugs and it could spread. Um, and so these are some of the issues that surround the reasoning for making homelessness a criminal act. You cannot be homeless in America, but yet we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of homeless. So where do they go? What do they do? Where do they live? How do they survive? when it's becoming a crime. There's no easy answer. It's not right. It's not humane. And yet, it's happening in most cities across America each and every day. Now, the homeless have a hard enough time surviving and finding a place to rest where they themselves are not bothered, much less being a bother to anyone else. It's just there's few places they can go. The cities are populated, and there's very few public places where they can retreat and rest. And so this is one of the daily problems of being homeless in America and having no place to rest or sleep, to live, to eat, and what can we do about it? We need to decriminalize homelessness. We need to talk to the police and to our city officials and to our mayor and let them know this is wrong. Being homeless should not be a criminal offense. There are many other crimes daily being committed that the cities and the government and the police need to spend their time on and treat as real issues more so than someone being homeless and chasing them around town. And we need to advocate for the decriminalization of homeless people. We need to protect their dignity and put them into housing. I've often said housing first is the major solution to all homelessness in America. We spend in our cities millions and millions of dollars to beautify our cities, but yet then the homeless deter from the beauty of our gorgeous cities because we have homeless walking around and it 
does deter businesses from moving to the city. It does deter shoppers from going into stores when there's a homeless person laying outside the store. And so we need to do this. We need to house the homeless and economically it would make sense. Humanely, it would make sense. It's not only the right thing to do, but it would save the city millions of dollars over time and not just in emergency services that the homeless uh, will require from being on the streets day and night. Their bodies break down and wear down and from sleeping on hard payment and wet conditions and storms and through bug bites and through uh, rodents and and just uh, not getting enough sleep and you know walking around in wet clothes and you know having them to air dry there's just so many things that will affect the homeless and their health over time when they are day and night, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, living outdoors and not getting proper food, proper nutrition, proper sleep and rest, and not having a bed to sleep in. You need a comfortable bed to sleep in. That was one of the things I came up with during my directorship at Michiana Five for the Homeless was a slogan that we put on many, many signs and use them in our advocacy is that we wanted a bed for every homeless person. They were beautiful blue and white signs that we held when we did protests and rallies and advocated at um, city council meetings. And it's a simple thing. It's a simple need and simple request, a bed for every homeless person. I mean, we, we go through life and we are taxed. And we pay our property taxes, we pay our city taxes, we pay ourselves taxes. We do all of this, you know, and it's day after day, year after year, you know, we owe, owe, owe our government. And then we become suddenly homeless. And the simple one thing that we deserve back from all those years of taxation is just a nice bed to sleep in. Is that really asking too much? And yet a bed could literally fix most of the health issues facing the homeless as long as that bed has a roof over it, the individual's head.
They need shelter. They don't need to sleep on a park bench. They don't need to sleep in a tent. They need a bed to sleep in. I hope you've enjoyed this program today and will listen next week. This is John Schaefer, advocate for the homeless, even in my retirement years. Thank you for listening. When it comes to getting out of bed in the morning, are you a, are you a springer or are you an oozer? Do you spring out of bed? Do you, do you get excited about what lies ahead of you for the day? Do you, do you get excited about what you have to do, what's on your agenda? Or do you slowly ease and ooze out of bed, wondering if it's even worth getting up? Wondering what's going to happen next to you that, well, maybe will drag you down. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we're all a little bit of Springer, but maybe more oozers. I want to talk about hope today, H-O-P-E, hope. One of the main reasons that people have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning is because deep down inside they, there's a lack of hope. Hope that the future holds any real promise for them. So I have to wonder this morning as I, as I look out at you, it, when you think about the future of your own life, where you're going, what you're going to do, or when you even think about the future of the world, are you a springer or are you an oozer? Our past shapes our present. And you know as well as I do, you can't go back to the past. The future, on the other hand, shapes our present upon how we, how we perceive it, how we envision it. If we think the future is bright, we're more likely to, to spring forward. Spring forward with hope. But if we think the future holds nothing but doom and gloom, then we might be more prone to reluctantly ooze forward into the future. In our scripture reading that Denise read to us this morning, the Apostle Paul gives us a perspective on, on all of this springing and oozing. He tells us to forget the past because we can't do anything about it. It's all over with and, and done. Instead, he says, he tells us to, that our present attitude should be based on the future and what the future might hold for each of us. Paul, if you'll remember, was a, was a guy who started off as a, a Pharisee, a guy who had a, a promising future in the Jewish hierarchy system. He was a guy who was making a, a big name for himself by, by being a, a hardcore persecutor of Christians, of people 
who followed Jesus. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he met up with this guy named Jesus. And, well, the next thing you know, he's on Jesus' side. He gave up everything he had, his, his power, his education, his, his promising future, and he became a worker for the Christian cause. He became a missionary to the, the Gentiles, the hated non-Jewish people who lived in the Roman Empire. And in his letter to the Ephesians, a, a letter written during the latter part of his life when he's in prison in Rome, Paul is writing to a church that he, he probably put more time into and, and more energy into than any other church that he founded. He'd been gone about five years or so, and, he, and he's writing into it to encourage them that, that despite all the negative stuff that's going on in their lives, God was still with them, and God was still blessing them. They were being pressured by, by outsiders, by the, by, the, by the Gentiles, to worship wealth and worship possessions and, and to begin worshiping Roman idols. Check. Paul challenges them to unite and to put their trust in their inheritance in Jesus. Put their trust in their inheritance in Jesus and his total sufficiency for each and every one of them, rather than trying to, to meet the needs of the world around them. And that's the key thought to his entire epistle to the Ephesians, the word unity. Gather together all the good things, the peace and the joy and the salvation and the happiness that come to us in Jesus, he says. I mean, let's face it, in a, in a life without Jesus, life is chaotic. We're full of disunity and disharmony. Without the unity that Jesus brings to us, we're a divided people separated from one another by barriers and by walls that we have built up between each other. Barriers that separate us nation from nation, class from class, person from person, ideology from ideology. In each and every one of us this morning, there's this, there's this tension that's deep down inside us. It's like this this bomb that's ready to go off. Because you see, we're torn between our desire for doing good, but we also like to do bad. We hate our sins, but then again, we kind of love them at the same time, you know? But worst of all, because of who we are and because of what we continue to do, there becomes this separation between us and God. Men and women alike, people who were created to be in the fellowship of God, are separated from him because of, of what we do and what we say. It is not what God wanted. It's not what God created us for. But because of his love, because of the love of God, and because of this, this thing called grace, 
Jesus comes and Jesus gives us hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. We have this opportunity because of Jesus to tear down all these walls and all these barriers and become united as one. The innumerable broken strands of mankind can be brought together in Christ, William Barclay says. Knotted again into, into one as they had been in the very beginning of time. And that's what this first chapter of Ephesians is all about. It's about God taking center stage in all of this. It's about God's grace. It's about what God has done for people like us. People who have screwed up. People who have messed up. People who have turned their backs on God and deserve absolutely nothing from him. Despite who we are and despite all that we've done, God turns around and he blesses us then with this, this gift of his son. We were under the power of sin and, and we're under the power the world around us throws at us. But God chooses us to be in Jesus instead, to be in Christ. He's chosen to, to adopt us, as, as he said, as Paul said. He wipes out our past and he has blessed us with his grace, a, a grace that's freely given to us despite all the baggage that we carry with us, all the, all the warts, as they sometimes say. And he's done it all on his own free will, simply because he loves us. Our scripture reading this morning is, is a lot like a doxology, maybe like the doxology that we sing each week. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. You see, within these few verses, we become aware of God's providence and God's wisdom. We become aware that he has a plan for us as he continually watches over us day in and day out. It's like the song we used to sing, and I think Becky's played it before. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, and in his hands he's got the whole wide world. God provides for each of us. He's been at work in our lives before we were even aware of it. He he's, has a plan for each of us, a plan that's deeply rooted in John Wesley's concept of prevenient grace, a, a grace that's born with us deep down inside that's just waiting for us to, 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 to answer God's call. And, and it can bloom up in us like a flower that blooms if we answer the call. Paul this morning talks of, of God's providence, of God's wisdom. But he also talks about God's power. A power that allows us to, to live in Christ just as he then lives in each of us. 
I mean, let's face it, with, with all that's going on in, in our world today, it's easy to be overwhelmed. It's easy to feel powerless, and it's easy to feel like, we, like maybe we've lost control of everything and life is, is closing in on us. Twenty years ago yesterday, our lives changed drastically. Like we never could ever imagine. It's though our world began to, to close in on us on September 11th, 2001, and then along comes this COVID-19 virus that, that separated us from family and friends and church and all the world around us, so to speak. And instead of getting better, it continues to get worse and worse and worse. We're faced with, with decisions and we're faced with challenges we never thought we'd ever be faced with. It's as though our, our needs continue to grow and grow and grow, and yet our resources become less and less and less. But let me remind you this morning that when Paul wrote <clears throat> this letter to the Ephesians, he wasn't sitting in his vacation home in the south of France. He wasn't sitting in his vacation home in the south of France eating fancy French pastry and, and, and food and drinking wine from the vineyards. Paul's writing this letter of, of praise and thanksgiving from a prison cell. He's in bondage in Rome, shackled in, in chains, and he doesn't know if he's going to live or he doesn't know if he's going to die. And yet he continues to believe in the power and the presence of God. And he continues to claim the power of God that it will all work out in the long run for him. That's because God continually provides for us. His power is always with us. His power is always in us. See, the tendency today is to play down the difference between the church and the world in which we live. Between us and them. The idea is to casually fit into the world around us, live a, a decent, law-abiding life, respectable, be, be respectable, be, be cool, and go to church on Sundays and, and call yourself a Christian. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be a distinguishable difference between us and them. Between us and them. And it should be easy to distinguish a Christian because just as we set out to abide the laws and the rules and the regulations of the world around us, we also set out to abide by the rules and regulations of the law that God sets before us as well. So we've got, it's twice as hard for us to be who we are. He says, don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about money. Be be more concerned about social injustice. Be more concerned about hatred and, and bigotry. More, be more concerned about the needs and the concerns of those around us. Especially those who are less fortunate than we are, like Christine talked about this morning. We get out of bed each and every day just to 
satisfy the rules and their regulations in the places that we go and the places that we work and play, but, but we also need to get up and satisfy the rules that God places before us. To love others, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and to treat others as we want to be treated. I don't know about you, but as I get older and watch what's going on in the world around me, it bothers me. I become, well, maybe I shouldn't say more anxious, but I'm concerned about our future because we're not sure what lies ahead for any of us today or tomorrow or next week. But know that we have a God who provides for each of us. A God who led his people out of slavery. A God who led his people through the wilderness for 40-some years. A God who gives us exactly what we need when we need it. A God who will never, ever lead us, leave us. None of us are perfect. We've, we've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And others of us have struggled to, to connect with God to help make sense of who we are or where we're going in our lives. But we can discover purpose. We can overcome our sinful lives. We can discover why we're here in this world. We can, we can discover God's liberating power in, in each and every one of us. It's a power that will make us want to spring out of bed in the morning if you give your life to him. If you give your life to him and if, if, you, if you worship him, not just on Sunday mornings, but each and every day of the week and in your own way, the one who gathers all things together. And it's all in the, the loving context of God's unconditional love and salvation for people like you and I who don't deserve a thing. It's God's purpose that, that one day all things and all people will be one family in Christ. That's what Paul tells us. May we connect with this God who provides for all of our needs through providence and power and purpose. And may we each come to know and worship the God whose greatest desire is to bring unity through, through salvation to each and every one of us and to the world as well. Amen. Profile America, Sunday, September 12th. Today is National Grandparents Day recognizing the love and help they provide and their growing importance to the survival of American families. The special day was the idea of Marion McQuaid of Fayette County, West Virginia, and has been observed nationally since 1979. Today, grandparents are increasingly not just relatives to be visited on holidays and weekends, but part of the year-round household for many children. Some 7 million grandparents, together or separated, have around 6.2 million minor grandchildren living with them. 
Putting it another way, nearly 8.5% of America's 72.7 million minors live with at least one grandparent. You can find more facts about America's people, places, and economy from the American Community Survey at census.gov. Profile America, Monday, September 13th. Today is the second day of National Staffing Employee Week. The occasion is one to recognize the massive contributions to our economy made by the millions of temporary and contract employees on assignment in the nation every day. During this week, staffing agencies will host events honoring their greatest asset, their temporary and contract employees. The Staffing or Employment Services Group comprises establishments primarily engaged in employment placement, executive search services, temporary help, and contractor leasing. Nationwide, there are over 53,000 employment services establishments helping match workers to permanent or temporary job vacancies. These agencies alone employ some 6.3 million people. You can find more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. Hi, good evening. This is John Schaefer, and I want to encourage the listeners to share this station with your family and friends, and even share it on your own personal Facebook page. We need more listeners, and we need people that will tune in on a daily basis, listen to the various numerous broadcasts, and uh, tell us what you think. Go back to the Facebook group site and tell us what you think, and tell your friends to listen in. We would appreciate that so much here at the SME station. Have a great week. And as always, thank you for listening. This concludes our podcast for today. Stick with us Monday through Friday and download it here through anchor.fm and the Anchor podcast free of charge through your Google Play Store. On behalf of us at SME, have a good one.